Welcome to the podcast, Meet My Potential, where Deepa chats with leaders around the world once a week or simply shares her insights. This podcast is for those who aspire to meet their highest inner potential. Each episode brings you one simple tool that you can apply at work or in life. Hello, and welcome to this podcast with Steve Mitten. Steve is going to talk to us about the impact of stress in business. Steve is a master certified coach. He's been coaching executives and business owners for a very long time now. Welcome, Steve, to this call. Oh, thank you for having me. Thanks, Steve. So tell us a little bit, what is the impact of stress? Everybody talks about stress today, and there is a lot of stress in business. But what is exactly the impact of stress that you see? Well, you're right. Everybody talks about it. I think everybody experiences it. And, you know, there's a general feeling that a little bit of stress uh, is good for you. And there's strong scientific data to back that up. But what um, I see a lot in my work. I, I do a lot of work with business owners, senior executives and leaders. And what I see over and over again, and what also is well documented in, in the research these days, is that stress levels are growing um, and they accumulate in anybody that has a busy active life, that is concerned about what they're doing, that where the outcome is uncertain they accumulate and they accumulate and have impacts on how you perform in your business, how you, how you show up in your relationships it has impact on your health. So the bottom line is uh, if you are not um, dealing proactively with your stress, um, it is going to deal with you and it's going to rob you from many of the qualities that you need to succeed in your business and life. Mm -hmm. I can totally see how it impacts relationships, how it impacts your health, and a lot of people also get into burnouts. And yet at the same time, you mentioned a very important word is to be proactive. When do you know that the stress is not a good stress anymore and that it is starting to impact that level of awareness that it's starting to impact my relationships, it's starting to impact my health. When does one decide to get proactive and act on that stress? Well, that's the big problem because when you're in the midst of a busy, you know, building a business, launching a business, running a family, you know, leading a company, you are so close to the forest that you certainly don't see the trees and you get stuck in kind of the, you know, the boiling frog syndrome where, you know, every day the water temperature is, is, is slowly increased and you just find yourself getting boiled alive. So for most people, it doesn't, they don't notice it themselves. It is people around them that are beginning to give them feedback, you know, that, did you notice this? Did you notice that? Wow, this is happening to you. And, you know, our normal reaction in those in situations is to keep on keeping on and, and work even harder. Uh, but there is a downward death spiral you get into. The, you know, when you're just like the science here is that um, whenever we're faced by a threat, we get a little shot of uh, uh, adrenaline and a suite of, of corticosteroids. 
And um, this was important in our evolutionary past because when you were faced with the threat, you needed to be able to run or fight and deal with it. But uh, as we continue to evolve, we develop the ability to think ourselves into the stress state. So every day you go to work and you're thinking, did I turn off the stove? You know, I, yeah, I got a shop. What's happening to my first appointment? What's happening to this client? You know, I've got a board meeting coming up. And all of these thoughts give you a little drip of, uh, uh, you know, of, of these hormones. It, it, it turns on what's called the sympathetic nerve system. Now, when you're 18 and you get a little shot of, of stress, it, it's processed in your body within a couple of hours. But by the time you hit 30, um, it can take a, a couple of days for that to be fully processed by the body. So day-to-day -day stress, the stress of a typical busy life slowly accumulates. And as it accumulates, you drop your people skills, you drop your creativity, you drop your intuition, you kind of um, start thinking recursively, you get locked into circular thinking, you get locked into problem solving with the existing data, you, you lose the ability you know, for insight. And um, that causes huge problems in your life. You know, you think of the people you work with in your, in your career, you think of the impact that has on your, you know, friends and family. So that's one of the problems. You probably don't notice that the stress has got to, a, uh, you know, a, uh, an unsustainable level until it really manifests in something serious. And so it's one of the leading factors why, you know, uh, companies plateau and struggle, leaders fail, contributing factor to, you know, problems in your personal relationships. And so things often get really bad. And, and eventually, if you ignore it, it manifests in, in physical illness because another factor of, of uh, having elevated levels of stress hormones in your body is your immune system is suppressed. So finally, there is this, you know, significant uh, crash that happens, and it can take people a long time to kind of climb out of those situations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially when you spoke about all the symptoms that happen, that relationships start to drop and you're not being creative anymore at work. There's a problem to be solved. What typically happens is people want to push themselves much more yeah. to solve the problem. And the system also pushes people to get more and more into action, to kind of like fight, not run away, but fight and solve because there, there is a stake in the business. Yeah, Stephen Covey, one of the pioneers in, you know, kind of applied mm -hmm. personal development, used to have a lovely... Um, you know, analogy for this. He, when he used to do demos, he'd he'd per, he'd he'd pretend he was sawing a log, uh, and uh, you know, the, the the more the more demands on him, he'd be sawing harder and harder and harder. The more the stress would accumulate, sawing harder and harder. And he was making the point that this is our reaction. You know, when, when something goes wrong, we just work harder, do more of what we've always done. And what's needed 
is to stop and sharpen the saw. Mm-hmm. Because if you're just always sharp, you know, sawing away, your saw gets really, really dull. Mm-hmm. And as an executive, as a business owner, as a leader, as anybody in a relationship, if you're not regularly, uh, you know, proactively managing the stress, then it's going to, you know, translate into some problems. The good news mm-hmm. is that it doesn't take a lot of effort or time <laughs> to proactively manage this stuff. There's, you know, very good work done by and summarized by people like Richard Boyatzis at Case Western University and Greg Jacobs at Harvard and dozens of other folks active in the in the positive psychology field that study these sorts of things. And there's very good work that shows that if you just dedicate as little as 10 minutes twice a day to pretty much any activity that takes your attention off, you know, your forward thinking, worrying thoughts and kind of focus on whatever's happening now, that is going to turn off the sympathetic nervous system, kind of the stress response. And it's going to turn on the parasympathetic nervous system, the relaxation response, total different change of, you know, uh, hormones released, the blood supply is restored fully to your brain. You now, the neurons can create new neural patterns, which you can't under stress response. You're, you're kind of locked into old patterns of thinking. So 10 minutes twice a day, and there's a long list of things that facilitate this relaxation response. I was exactly going to ask you, can you just name a few sure. list of things that people can do? Yeah, yeah. You, you don't have to drop out and go, you know, meditate in an ashram or monastery for weeks on an end. Simply doing something like, you know, going outside and uh, paying attention to whatever's happening out there, like where I am today, it's a beautiful fall day, sky is, you know, clear blue, the wind is still, the sun is shining and all the leaves. And so it's part of my daily routine to take my dogs for a nice walk out into the woods. And when I'm out there, if my mind drifts back to work or business or something else I'm, you know, having to deal with, I just remind myself, no, I'm, I'm on my walk. And going out in nature works great. Um, if it's a you know, pouring, rainy day, sitting inside and just enjoying your cup of coffee or cup of tea, putting on some music and just being in the moment. Naturally, any uh, mindfulness activity, uh, uh, you know, there's meditations, of, you know, a dozen different flavors. There's, you know, yoga um, you know, different yoga asanas that just put your attention on your body and your breath. So there's socializing uh, with friends, you know, friends that get your attention off your problems and your worries and get you in the moment. Dancing, you know, having a nice, hot, relaxing bubble bath. And pretty much anything that redirects your attention onto what's here now, you know, the, the sunshine, the music, your cup of coffee. Excellent. Very, very simple things that people can do to get present in the here and now. And what you said is so true. The mind is 
like a monkey, it wants to go and think about the past, things that went well in the past or things that didn't go well in the past or regrets about the past or worries about how things were done in the past or simply worries about the future. How is this going to happen? How is that going to, how is the next meeting going to turn out? What's going to be the result of the elections? So yeah, there is something between the past and the future and that is the present moment where we're constructing the futures. And I think a lot of people get discouraged because when they attempt to do something like this, like just go for a nice walk and notice the clouds or something, you know, they do that for five seconds and then their mind goes back to, oh, I got a call after lunch. What am I going to do? And that's normal for anybody. I've been a student of the, you know, uh, wisdom traditions, the Eastern and Western you know, religious teachings. And mm-hmm. I'm a registered yoga teacher. I've, you know, gone to uh, meditation retreats. And this has been a passion of mine for for decades. And it, it is a common misconception that people have when they go to attempt any mindfulness practice that I should be able to stop my mind. If I only meditated harder, did more yoga, uh, I, I could stop my mind. And that never works. You know, I mean, there are few rare individuals who experience, you know, a few minutes of mindfulness without thoughts, but that is rare. Most people don't ever experience that. Most serious mindfulness practitioners never experience that. And so really the deeper teaching is don't mind the mind. You know, you feed thoughts with attention. Letting your attention rest on the thought. You feed it. It it gives birth to the next thought, the next thought, the next thought. So just take, keep taking your attention off your thoughts, you know, and put it on something else. And, you know, if you keep doing that, it gets easier and easier. Like the first day, you might only go, you know, five seconds without a thought. That's okay. That's how it works. Uh, But maybe a week down the road, you can go 15 seconds without having too much of a thought and a thought comes. So what? Let it pass through your mind like it's a, you know, a, you know, a car driving down the street. It comes, makes its noise. And, and if you don't feed it with attention, belief or resistance, it just keeps going. I think it, it helps people who are approaching and experimenting with different mindfulness practices to, to take a bit of a Goldilocks approach. Try and see what works for you. There are definitely, you know, libraries of practices out there. If you Google UCLA Mindfulness Center, UCLA has, you're going to find its research center and it's got, you know, like a dozen different meditations you can try for five minutes, 10 minutes, this type of meditation, that sort of meditation. There in any bookstore, there's dozens of books that will help you you know, get good at this. But if you just find something that works for you for 10 minutes twice a day, you'll um, achieve the goal of uh, turning around this accumulation of stress, of proactively managing this accumulation of stress. And the dividends will be, there'll be a blossoming in your interpersonal skills. You'll be able to better manage your own awareness and thoughts. You'll be able to better manage other people's. You'll have heightened empathy, greater creativity and intuition. And, you know, though that, that interpersonal 
skill set and the self-awareness skill set are huge factors in anybody's happiness and success. And you're going to get that benefit. And is it like a magic bullet that happens overnight? No, it's, it's a slower thing, but it's something you notice. Like any day where you go to bed 10 minutes earlier the previous night and wake up 10 minutes earlier and spend 10 minutes doing something that really charges your batteries and, and gets you kind of centered in who you are and connected to what's important to you. That's a good day. And you might, you know, go to work and somebody cuts you off on the way to work and you get to work and there's 200 emails and the stress will begin to build. But you're starting from a pretty good spot. So, yes, you know, by noon you might be a little antsy, but if you take a little bit more time at noon to take a break between meetings or phone calls, walk around the block, go to the gym, do anything, then you kind of hit a reset. And then, you know, the afternoon begins and you get, you know, pulled into all sorts of things and your mind starts winding up like a, you know, a big flywheel. And then at the end of your workday, which for many people doesn't end when they leave the office, sometimes it doesn't end until, you know, the kids are in bed. But whenever your workday ends for you, to have a little ritual where you unplug, where you consciously kind of hit the refresh button and do something that winds you down, that reels back your attention from whatever the heck it's, uh, you know, it, it's getting addicted to. And if you just experiment with that, any day that you, you know, you play with that, it's going to be a better day than you don't. And if you find a few things that work for you, then you're just going to have a greater reserve of patience, of compassion, of creativity, of energy, uh, which are really, really valuable things in anybody's life. Excellent. We do definitely perform better when we're not under bad stress. So it's important to take time to get out of the pressure zone and to be in good health, to have better relationships, to perform better at work. And what I really like about what you said is find an activity that suits you. There's so many out there and there's no one way to find peace and be more present. There are many ways. One needs to find their way. Everybody's different. I mean, there's in, in, in um, many of the Eastern philosophical traditions and certainly in yoga, they uh, have their own way of typing people. And um, most high achievers, Um, are um, what, what they would call rajasic. You know, you've got a lot of energy and every day you got to kind of burn off that energy. Mm-hmm. So to, you know, to deal with someone, you know, with, with, with that sort of energy, it would be pointless to tell them, well, just go sit on your meditation pillow. It'd be crazy difficult for them because their, their body is just vibrating with energy they've got to burn off. So for that sort of person, it's far easier to help them find maybe some activity that gets them out for a run or a bike ride, or they do something active like yoga or Tai Chi or dance, where their attention is on their body and their breath in the present moment or the beat and the music. It's not leaping ahead to the future, but they're moving in their body, you know, mm-hmm. so 
finding what works for you. The best is, I think, is a bit of a balance. I have a naturally higher, you know, energy level. So I know every day, fairly early on in the day, I've got to get out for some exercise, whether it's a, you know, a walk, a run, a bike ride. And when I do that, I'm way more present because I've kind of dealt with the first little charge of energy. Um, but again, everybody's, everybody's different and thus the importance of experimenting and finding what works for you. Excellent. Thank you. There's been a lot of books and a lot of studies on mindfulness and the need to be in the present moment. What is one tip that you would give to people who haven't done anything, something that helps them to go from the state of, I know this is good for me, to starting to do it? Well, um, this gets into another big topic, which is kind of... Uh, change theory, how do people actually change? And the bottom line is that unless you've got about a four out of five level of kind of interest slash motivation to make a change, don't even bother. Don't even bother because <laughs> you're not going to follow through. You're going to go through the motion and give up. So the very first step is do whatever you need to do to kind of get interested slash inspired slash committed. And one of the best ways to do that is just imagine that better future. So for a busy, you know, executive business owner, you know, working mom, um, it might start with you just picturing, you know, a better life like three months down the road. Where would you like to get? What would that look like? Wow. If I could be at home for my kids, dinner and dance reception, that would be great. Wow, if I could sleep at night without waking up 10 times, wow. If I could, you know, just get a vision that is meaningful to you, something that you'd be prepared to, you know, work on. And if you get that up to like a four out of five level of interest, right? Like, you know, a level, Level one out of and two out of five is like, oh, that might be interesting. Level three is kind of, oh, damn, this makes sense. Maybe I should do something about mm -hmm. this. But label, level four out of five is, damn, I got to do something about this. What am I going to do about it? That's what you're looking for. So, you know, in answer to your question, do whatever you need to do to get up to a kind of a critical mass of interest and commitment. Because if you get there, then you're going to be followed through. You're going to survive the inevitable backsliding when you go to make a change. You know, it's not easy to move through established thought patterns and behavior patterns. So get clear on something. And, you know, uh, if you can plug into someone else that's also committed to it, someone that can support you to do this, whether it's a friend or buddy or you know, a, you know, a coach or, you know, someone that's going to support you, your chances of successfully <laughs> executing go up dramatically. Excellent. Thank you very much for that wonderful tip. Would you like to share one last message uh, with the audience before we close this call? Life is, is a long journey and the better you get at uh, understanding yourself and understanding what's important to you and understanding what your strengths are and how to bring more of those out, then the more successful you are, but more importantly, the more happy you are. 
And, uh, you know, I've worked with a lot of successful people and, you know, a narrow success, if it's just defined by, you know, numbers, that is not a success that's worth working for, you know, because if you, all your work doesn't ultimately make you happy, if it's not something that the journey itself is meaningful and rewarding, then why bother, you know? So just make sure whatever you're doing is heading you in the direction where you're going to have a, you know, broad, meaningful uh, success and happiness. Excellent. Thank you very much. So folks listening out there, I hope you'll take one step further to get more present in the here and now and make this life a happy journey. Thanks very much, Steve, for being here with us. My pleasure, Deepa. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you'd like to know more how you can meet your potential, check out www.meetmypotential.com. That's www.meetmypotential.com. Join us again. And until then, stay cool.